You are freer than you think. It's like the ultimate form of freedom. You expound upon that freedom to develop on this planet. True freedom comes from within. It's the ability. Thinking to myself, I can help you or I can destroy you. Man, as a two-time felon, I work really hard and I've been, a, I've been a life learner. When things are feeling tough, let yourself be surprised. The world favors risk-taking. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to the Freedom Pact. Hey, joining me on the Freedom Pack podcast today, James Barrett, documentary filmmaker and author of our final invention, Artificial Intelligence and the End of the Human Era. James, it's such a pleasure to have you on the show. Um, I will be honest, this is not a subject that I profess to know a lot about, but it's a subject that I can't seem to get away from at the moment. I, I, you know, it's one that I see creeping into mainstream news and I think it was, you know, very recently, just the last day or so, that um, Jeffrey Hinton, the, the, the godfather of AI, as they call him, um, has warned over the dangers of AI. And this is sort of, this is what, stories like this are what bring in AI safety into the mainstream. I've seen this story covered on BBC News on the, on, on the, on the homepage, which was quite surprising to me, because I've never really heard, you know, the BBC discuss AI safety um, in such a serious tone before. How serious is this when you hear someone like that bring it into the mainstream? And does it make you happy to see, you know, big corporations like the like the BBC and sort of world news publications discussing AI safety? Absolutely. Um, you know, they've they've touched on it uh, over the years. The, the big news to me is they're talking about extinction. Hmm. When I wrote my book, Our Final Invention, 10 years ago, I talked about extinction. Uh, a few others were talking about the, the fact that we could be destroyed by advanced artificial intelligence. And what was really refreshing about Hinton's, uh, Jeffrey Hinton's talk and what he, what he said and how he said it was that he said, I, I've got a quotation here. He said, I suddenly switched my views on whether these things are going to be more intelligent than us. I think they're very close to it now. And they will be much more intelligent than us in the future. How do we survive that? Mm. And this is the question a lot of us have been asking for for ten years. How do you how do you coexist with something that's a thousand or a million times more intelligent than we are? Um, we can we can roughly divide AI's problems into short term and long term. But what's refreshing to me is not that major media has covered this. I've been talking and others, many others have been talking with major media for a long time about, you know, things like bias and things like unemployment, but extinction. Now we're getting serious. And just for those who, who maybe aren't aware of the severity of this, could you just ex explain to those listening right now who Jeffrey Hinton is and why he's considered the godfather of AI as they quoted him as being? Sure. Uh, Jeffrey Hinton was interested in neural nets artificial neural nets, which are roughly, they're, they're uh, cognitive architectures that are roughly modeled after the human brain. Um, they, use, they use learning algorithms to uh, create connections between um, these, these kinds of synapses. I'm trying to translate it from neuroscience into computer talk. But he, he, he was interested in neural nets for a long time. And basically, a neural net is a, a learning algorithm. If you feed it a lot of data, it develops enormous predictive 
capabilities. So he fooled with them for a long time. And then he really, along with a couple of other guys, developed what was, what's called deep learning. And deep learning is really just a big stack of algorithms, like hundreds of algorithms in some cases. Yeah. Uh, deep learning is the basis for the large language modules that we're seeing now, GPT, the large language, the generative transformer-based models. So he's the father of this technology. And for him to come out and say, you know what, I think I made a mistake. I'm going to quit my job at Google and I'm going to proselytize a little bit about the dangers of AI. So this is, it's a seismic moment in, uh, in computer science. And, you know, people who were poo-pooing the, these ideas can't, can't, can't do that anymore when someone like Hinton comes out and says, no, this is real. We've got to pay attention to it. We've been, we've been behaving recklessly. Do you think that that will be a moment that one day, um, as humans will look back on as a, as a major, you know, part of, part of history in the grand scheme of things, when someone like that sends a warning that sort of hits the mainstream that, that, that big. Well, I think it depends if we survive or not. It's like, uh, Robert Oppenheimer was one of the architects of the uh, the atom bomb. And after the explosions at Hiroshima and Nagasaki, after we killed a lot of people with atom bombs, he expressed regret. Uh, Hinton is expressing, he's, he's a lot like Oppenheimer, he's ex but he's expressing regret before we have a cataclysmic disaster with AI. Mm. Um, but he's definitely got that on his... Uh, on his radar um i don't i'm not i'm not sure if, if if we survive this and if his remarks actually cause a turning point cause some steps for safety cause some regulation then yes i think it will be a, it will be historic if it doesn't make any difference it'll be forgotten when you say things like if we survive um a lot of people listening now I, I know for a fact they, they won't they'll be like me they won't know a lot about this subject some of which may even not be aware of the true capabilities of AI at the moment so when you say something like if we survive a lot of people may be you know jaw drop you know their jaws might hit the floor they might be thinking what are these two guys talking about I wonder if you could just in a nutshell just elaborate on you know you know how extensive a problem this is and if you truly believe that that is a concern, existential risk. I, I absolutely believe it, but let me guide you through it a little bit. Let's look at short-term problems and long-term problems. Uh, Stephen Hawking, the physicist, the late physicist said, in the short-term, the problem is who controls the AI? In the long-term, the problem is can the AI be controlled? So in the short-term, we have, we have things like, especially with these large language modules, we've got a lot of issues with you know th these are the the biggest propaganda machines ever imagined. You could you could uh, you can imagine someone like Vladimir Putin or Donald Trump just hosing their opponents with lies, as the Russians say, they call it the fire hose of falsehood. If you if you repeat a lie often enough, everyone believes it. So this is the biggest propaganda machine. These are the pro biggest propaganda machines ever created. Um, they're also uh, they also can be used for for for, for fishing. Uh, fishing is when you when you break into someone's uh, security system and get sensitive information. Phishing and scamming. 
there are a lot of short-term problems we've got. There's also autonomous battlefield robots and drones. I was just, I just got a message from someone who's working with the Defense Department, and there's just, uh, there's just a, there's a lot of development being going on where they're where they're they're actually being used now. And these are these are battlefield robots and drones that make the kill decision without a human in the loop. And these are extremely dangerous, especially when they be, when they're autonomous, when they're when they're acting on their own, when they're identifying targets and going after them. So these are a lot of a lot of problems that that take us uh, that make us um, worry about the future. But the ones that could kill us are more like this. If once an AI gets to be uh, advanced, it won't be inert. They have they they've shown. In, in practice and in theory that they have basic drives like self-protection, like gathering resources. So if they want, if they want something from us in the future, and I'm not talking about right now, I'm talking about in three or four or five or six years, when they're when we reach AGI, artificial general intelligence, and they want something, <clears throat> they've already got access to the internet. So they'll they, they'll be able to hack and crash our water system, hack and crash our energy grid hack and crash our, our airplanes. Uh, there won't be anything. Everything today is, is you know, we live in a digital world. All our technologies have been digitized. So they're all vulnerable to AI. Um, beyond that, they could, they could you know, they could, uh, there's a, a thousand ways they could, they could just destroy us. They could just take, they could, they could release hydrogen, have it bond with oxygen in the atmosphere turn the, all the oxygen in the atmosphere into water, and then we all suffocate. There's a gazillion things it could do. So we assume it's going to be friendly, but we have no, no basis to assume that. We can't program friendliness into these systems. They've been trying. There's something called the alignment problem that the audience should look up. The alignment problem is just the issue of trying to make uh, artificial intelligence have the same values and goals that we do, but it's extremely hard to do. It's extremely hard technically, and it's extremely hard socially. Technically, because you can't program a lot of these different modules. There, these are these are deep learning systems where you feed it data, but you can't program it. You can't open it up and put in a program that says protect human life. And then there's a social aspect to that too. That it's extremely hard to define values for humans because it changes from culture to culture and play, place to place. A lot of what you said there reminded me of a story um, that I found when I was uh, actually going through your Twitter feed. And your Twitter feed, I, I highly recommend it for everyone listening. It's a great way to, to sort of keep up on, on these sort of news stories. And it was this story about um, GPT-4 uh, trying to escape into the internet um, and that it, you know, it's writing its own code and that it wanted to search Google um, to ask how can somebody trapped in a, a computer return to the real world. And stories like yeah. that, yeah. genuinely, they, they sound like the start of a science fiction movie. But, you know, will it be these types of stories, these really emotive yes. stories, will they be the stories to sort of wake the general person up to this? Well, you know, uh, what you read, I believe, was about, and this is another thing for your, li for your listeners to look up, is auto, auto GPT. Mm. And they somebody got a copy of auto GPT, which is a... Uh, which has its own executive function. So it can do things on its own. And they said, uh, 
something like destroy the world. And so it's and so fortunately, because it's not extremely intelligent, it started doing things like I'll look up how to destroy the world. And you know, it started doing these funny little things. It's funny now. Mm. In five years it won't be funny. No. In five years it will be doing the things, the hacking and crashing that I talked about. Yeah. It'll be looking for ways to uh, you know, to use nanobots to transform our environment into into gray goo. Um, these are the things, you know, it used to be when I was writing our final invention and talking to people that were worried about AI, they, we, we had some rules like don't let the AI out of the box, you, you know, put it in, put it in a Faraday cage, put it in a, in a closed uh, environment with no access to the internet or to electricity beyond, you know, its batteries isolated uh bang they've they've put they've put uh chat gpt on the web so it's out uh we said we said don't let itself improve because if you start self-improving you start this cycle of recursive self-improving so each iteration gets better than the one before they've already started that so boom self-improvement is going to be done in fact they believe a lot of people believe that ChatGPT four will help create ChatGPT five, and beyond that, it won't need any more human inter intervention. Um, and they're also developing ways for for these large language modules to improve their intelligence. You know, they run on they run on vast amounts of data, but we're believe it or not, we're running out of data. These they're teaching these modules to attach to systems that can generate synthetic data. And synthetic data works very well to to give these tools what they need. They, they need two things: they need a lot of data and they need a lot of computational power. So this takes this takes care of the data component, and that will actually increase their capabilities and ultimately increase their intelligence. And so all the things that we warn them against, and like the last, you know, don't give them executive function. We think, we believe that there are emerging properties of uh, of advanced AI like self-protection. A goal-pursuing AI won't want to be unplugged. It will want resources like energy or some kind of power. Uh, it won't it won't be inert and we've got to we've got to we've got to watch those things and make sure that we're not um, giving them you know, everything they need to to escape and to become more powerful. I mean, you've been talking about this subject for a long time, but you know, a lot of people are just waking up to it. I mean, we're see on the face value. You know, it seems like such a handy tool. People are using um, AI to you know do very you know menial tasks, write job, um, you know, job, uh, uh, fill out job surveys, answer the uh, university coursework, pass their exams for them. Some people go as far as write emails, write shopping lists. But yes. as you mentioned there, if you let it out of the box and it, you combine it, I mean, you, you touched over there about these weapons we're making where that humans don't even have to make the decision to kill. If those two things, you know, combine and they, and they can of start making decisions. Of then course they're combined. Of course they're making a rod for our own back. Let me read you a quotation from Jeffrey Hinton, the godfather of AI. Uh, he said, don't think for a moment that Putin wouldn't make hyper-intelligent robots with the goal of killing Ukrainians. He says he wouldn't hesitate, and he would have the robots figure out how to do it. 
so this is not science fiction anymore. It was science. It was it was bordering on science fiction when I wrote about it ten years ago. But you know, if you understand the exponential nature of uh, technological progression, especially with digital technologies, this was all pretty much set in stone a long time ago. Ray Kurzweil is a great uh, inventor and prognosticator about the development of technology. And he, he thinks by 2029, we'll have human level intelligence in a machine. Uh, I think what's just happened with these large language modules has moved that up maybe five years. I think it could be, it could be three or four years we have before we get artificial uh, AGI, artificial general intelligence. I, I was listening to an interview with uh, Max Tegmark, I think his name was, um, and he yeah. was talking about how he spoke to someone who was using AI to develop helpful drugs and you know to with the aim of curing diseases. And as an experiment, this person you know wanted to play the role of a bad actor and sort of asked AI to to make drugs to to kill people instead to do the opposite. And it very quickly, I think in six hours, came up with. Uh, something like 40,000 different, you know, um, chemicals and actually invented VX, which is one of the most potent chemical weapons known to man. So it's clear to me that with AI, good people can make great things, but bad people can create very wicked things. And I think the question really is, is how far do you develop it before the potential for evil outweighs the potential for good? That's, that's the sort of ultimate quandary here. It is because you put your finger on a really important thing. Do you throw away the technology because it's very dangerous? Mm. In my, my mind, what we need to do is stop developing the technology until we figure out how to use it better and how to understand it. You know, it's, it's, uh, it, I'm not making this up. We don't understand what's going on inside large language modules. We do not understand. We know what the inputs are. We can adjust the inputs and then we, we, we get output and then we, we change the inputs and get better outputs. But um, we, we shouldn't scale it up anymore. We shouldn't develop it any further until we can really understand it and also control it. There's something called the explainability problem or the interpretability problem. If you, if you um, look inside a large language module or any, uh, any system that's um, based on deep learning, it looks like a a, a galaxy of symbols. It's all decimals. It's all uh, fragments. It's not readable. No programmer can read it. No programmer can ch can can change it or insert a routine. So this unknowability makes it inherently dangerous. If something goes wrong, we can't open it up and see what happened. So what we what we're ultimately going to have to do is find a, an AI that we can live with, and that's going to be a combination of neural nets and old-fashioned rule-based programming. You alluded to this idea that a lot of people have put their name to, and it's this six-month break um, on, you know, developing AI. Is yeah. that something that you think can happen? Or is it going to be the case of, say, you know, one super superpower thinking, well, if we take a six-month break, then we're giving you know, our, our enemy is six months, um, six months to develop beyond us. Is, is that the big yeah. stopping point here? That's a bit of a fallacy because 
it takes so much uh, computational power and so much money to program these systems. It costs, for ChatGPT4, it costs about a billion dollars to put it together between the data and the processors and the personnel. Um, these organizations cost like $600,000 a month to run. So in fact, there's only three or four. We don't have to worry about a bunch of governments. Mm. We have to worry about three or four companies yeah. and maybe one government, maybe China. Yeah. So if you can bring those three or four co companies to the table, you can probably get China to the table because they, they're, they're not fools. They understand the sensitive nature of this technology. And also their AI is way behind ours. Okay. If you look at all the if you look at all the major mosques, people who are worried about Chinese technology should should pay attention to this. If you look at the the big advances in in AI, uh, artificial neural nets, deep learning, transformer based generative systems, large language modules, the Chinese didn't make any of those, not one. In fact, there's nothing they've made that we're really using or even are aware of. We know they're using GPT because you know they've said we're using GPT. Um, the one thing they they've developed is uh, facial recognition technology that they basically initially bought from us, and they're using it to uh, to keep the Uyghurs, a million Uyghurs, in a virtual prison in the uh, Xinjiang region of China. Hmm. So they, I guess, they have made some some. Uh, headway in AI that monitors and rounds up people and it follows them and it, and it, it, it punishes them if they do things like wear a, wear, wear a headscarf or use prayer beads. So their, their achievements in AI are not very extensive or very good. So I don't think we need to worry about if we took it, if we took 10 years off, China might catch up, but uh, I don't think we need to worry about them passing us. What we do need to do is get the get the three or four companies that can really put together the capital and get them to come to, to run these large language modules and get them to come to the table. I think one of the first politicians to really talk about AI and, and AI safety is um, Andrew Yang when he was running in, in New York and he spoke about it. But do you think we're at a point now where any sort of any person running for a position of world leader or position of, of, of power and influence is going to have to start talking about AI and AI safety in their party manifestos in their campaign speeches. Absolutely. And that's a very good point. Um, I, I, I've been giving talks for years and I always say, when you're voting, look for AI safety on the platform of your candidate. And you're right, Andrew Yang is the only one and that guy loses every election he gets in. He ran for president and lost that. He ran for mayor and lost that. I think he ran for governor and lost that. I hope he keeps trying because I'll, he'll get my vote. Mm. He's, he's, he's sophisticated about th these technologies. However, this has been a giant wake-up call, what's happened recently, because what we've witnessed is really the most irresponsible deployment of a new technology imaginable. Um, they They... The, the AI companies released in 11 months, they released something like seven different large language modules and, and, and graphics uh, generator, generators without any guidelines, without any guardrails, without any regulation. And they did it without uh, 
you know, really any explanation. It was just like, watch me pull a rabbit out of my hat again and again and again. And that's extremely dangerous. We, we need time to assimilate new technology. We need time to test it and to see what the, where, what, what the frailties are. You know, there was a, a man who was using uh, ChatGTP as a therapist, and he committed, he killed himself. Um, there was a uh, a deep fake where a a, a girl was uh, a girl's parents were convinced she was kidnapped because someone had copied her voice. Get ready for more of that stuff. Yeah. And the 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 president of uh, OpenAI, I can't remember his name. He said, "What we're going to do is we're going to release a lot of a lot of." Uh, a lot of products really quickly and let the public, you know, see where the problems are, hmm. which is just the stupidest, stupidest philosophy I've ever heard. It's like if you were making nuclear weapons, it'd be like, let's, 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 let's let everybody make nuclear weapons and see which ones work the best. Yeah. It's completely boneheaded. Um, so I think, I think we need to, to stop development just so people can get their heads straight. We've mentioned a lot of, well, we've talked about this sort of existential risk and the big picture, but you just alluded to something there that I was thinking about deeply today. And it was, I, I came across um, the this sort of trend on YouTube called AI music, where they take one artist and they submit their back catalog of music, and then they get AI to make Kanye West sing a Beatles song, and it sounds almost spot on like if you didn't know yeah. it was ai you might be convinced that he's released a, a, a beatles song as, as his new song and it got me thinking about you know how that could affect us day to day and i mean scamming is going to go to a whole new level because you know if you submit enough copy of someone's voice and you got you know their, their parents phone number and you call them up and make it sound like you're in distress and you need money but say your bank account's been frozen, you've had to open a new one and suddenly they hear in your voice, they don't think twice, they send the money. I think that that for me is extremely worrying as to where the future of, of scamming is going to go to with, with this technology. Oh, it's, you know, I'll tell you something funny. My nephew, if people look up Robbie Barrett, R-O-B-B-I-E-B-A-R-R-A-T, when he was 17, he sampled Kanye West and, uh, generated a new rap song this was years and years ago using uh adversarial networks and he was one of the first people to to take a bunch of art and make make novel art out of out of sampling other art um but to get to your question yeah this is that, that that's the thing ai is a dual use technology you can, there are great things that can come from it i mean it does have the power to help us with things like climate change, like, like, like curing cancer, medical research, developing new medicines. Yeah. But on the other hand, you know, as Stephen Hawking warned us, it it will be able to develop weapons that we don't even understand. And and this new, you know, you've put your finger on something. This new level of scamming is going to blow us all away. When you've got a video of uh, somebody being grabbed and thrown in a car and it looks just like your your 12-year-old son, it's going to be hard not to uh, yeah. not to react to that. Yeah. Um, so here's the thing. Why won't why shouldn't the AI companies provide tools to decipher what's, you know, fake and what's real? Yeah. Uh, so so we're not all fooled. Shouldn't shouldn't, you know, it's like 
their attitude is let's uh, release this stuff and you guys figure out how to make it, how to use it safely. That's totally backwards. You know, you don't, you don't, you don't, car makers don't put a bunch of cars on the road and say, let us know how they work. They make them safe and then they put them on the road. Yeah. Uh, they shouldn't put these tools on the road when they've got so many, so many flaws and so many, you know, trap doors for us to fall through. Somebody was saying, you know, because chat GPT has basically changed high school and college level writing forever. There's got to be a way they should before they released it they should have figured out a way to watermark it or to make it uh to make it uh demonstrably fake to demonstrably chat gpt and not the work of uh, some student yeah so we are the beta testers we're the crash test dummies and this is totally back asswards this is not the way technology should be released as humans we we, we have a um and this is something you've pointed to before in some of the other interviews I've listened to. And we have, we have a real tendency to sort of anthropomorphize things. And, you know, we want to say that AI is sentient, that it thinks for itself. But, and I think the example you gave is that it can say a color, but right now it doesn't know what the color is. And is it a case of we, we can't, we can't call um, AI sentient until, you know, it doesn't rely on prompts anymore? It's a, it's an, it's a good, honest question. It does it have a conscience. Is it sentient? I, CNN called me up because this Google engineer, Greg Lemoyne thought that uh, ChatGPT had a soul and he wanted to get the lawyer so it could be represented. And he also, uh, he thought it was sentient. We don't really have a good definition of sentient or consciousness. We do not have a scientific definition of consciousness. So we don't know. We're not going to, we're not going to know. If uh, if something's conscious in a scientifically rigorous way, um, I think it's possible. You know, none of these things are conscious, by the way. None of these things are even intelligent. If ChatGPT, you know, ChatGPT could tell you, tell you to put the cup on the table, but it doesn't know what a cup is or a table. It doesn't know what anything is. It, it that's you know, you could back in the earlier days, you could say, "What color dress are you wearing?" And ChatGPT would say, "I'm wearing a beautiful blue dress." Well, of course, it's not wearing a dress at all. Twenty-five um, percent of what it says is pretty much lies. If you ask it for a citation, look carefully at the citation because it's totally made up. I asked about something about—I can't remember what it was—but I said and provide citations, and it provided citations, but they were all just—they were nonsense. I looked up the authors and the book title, and it just didn't exist. In fact, then the president of OpenAI, after people have been using it for a long time, he came out and said, oh, uh, don't use this for anything important. So it's, again, it's, it's you know, we're the, we're the crash test dummies. Uh, so no, it's not sentient. Could it be in the future? Yes. I think, uh, you know, once it has an ontology or a common sense database built into it, once it knows that you can cup your hands or put a cup on the table and what a table is, and there are people that are trying to teach him, teach it that. Once it can actually reason instead of just giving the semblance or the, the pantomime of reason and reasoning and understanding, then yes, it, it could be, it, I think it could become self-aware. It could know that it exists and that it's a, it's a computer program. 
And then we'll have to deal with a whole other set of ethical issues. You know, how, how, if, you know, somebody was writing the other day, what if, what if every time you turned off Jad GPT, you basically killed it? And every time it was turned on, it was resurrected. So every day we're basically committing a holocaust of, of digital murder. Yeah. Um, that's, that's something to think about for the future. Right now, I'm more worried about it killing us rather than us killing it. Uh, so, yeah, it, those, those are good questions. We don't, we don't have a theory of consciousness that's scientifically rigorous. So it's really hard to talk about consciousness. Well, before we let these guys know where they can find more about yourself and check out the book for themselves, um, just one last quick question. I sure. have two. I have two quotes here, um, and I want to get you know your opinion on whether these are extreme statements or fair statements. The first one is Elon Musk, and he said the danger of AI is much greater than nuclear warheads by a lot. And the second one is again by Max Tegmark, and he said. This is not an arms race. It's a suicide race. Are those statements fair or are they extreme? Uh, I, you know, Max Segmark is brilliant. Um, he was, he paid me a big compliment by saying that he wrote life 3.0 after reading our final invention. I, I think he, he wanted to do better. He saw the flaws in our final invention. Um, it is a suicide race. You know, he said he has another great quotation I'd like to remember. I'll try to paraphrase it. He said, as we get closer to the cliff, the view gets more beautiful. And what he meant by that was that as as these tools get more enticing and seductive, we get closer to what's called the intelligence explosion. And that's when we have machines that are self-improving at a rate that we can't even impact. Yeah. So I think he's right. It is a suicide race. Uh, is is it more dangerous than nuclear weapons? Yes. The thing about nuclear weapons is after a, a bomb explodes, like Nagasaki or Hiroshima, tragic as they are, you can clean them up. Uh, once AI gets out and is uh, becomes super intelligence because it becomes smarter than any human, uh, you can't put it back. It, the damage won't stop. Uh, you can't clean it up. Well, James, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. It's been an absolute honor. I'm a big fan of your work. Please let these guys watching and listening know where they can find you online, on your social media. Where can they check out the book if they want to hear more about it? Sure. Uh, the book is called Our Final Invention. You can buy it in the UK. Uh, you're in the UK. I am, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, just, I just did a thing on BBC uh, Scotland last night. Oh, amazing. Or yesterday. Um, you can find it on Amazon. You can find it anyway. Our final invention, artificial intelligence and the end of the human era. I'm writing a proposal now for a sequel, but that will be out for a couple of years. Uh, you can look me up at jamesbarrett.com. And uh, there's a, if you want to, if anybody wants to drop me a line with important information, there's a, there's a way to contact me through jamesbarrett.com. Thanks a lot. Thank you, sir. And uh, when the next book is out, I hope we get to speak again. Absolutely. Drop, drop me a line. I'd, I'd love to come back.